available on digital media, iTunes podcast, smartphone apps, and from the online website, the talking newspaper for Coventry. This is Outlook. Hello and welcome to this week's edition of Outlook, being recorded on Wednesday the 29th of November. St. Andrew's Day. It's, I beg your pardon? St. Andrew's Day. It's St. Andrew's Day for, for, for the Scots among our listeners. So, and in this week's programme, uh, we'll find out about Godiva's ride, ride. Also, we're going to start looking at the Arches, the longest running radio soap in the world, I think. Keith tells us about the Sh- uh, Sherborne project, and uh, Rosie Dent tells us about honey fugglers, whatever they may be, we shall find out. Hurdy Gurdy, of course, is back with Alan, and Dave goes to Southport with the Nostalgics. Uh, but all that is uh, uh, later. Before that, we're going to have the sport roundup of what's going on here at the centre, a little bit of what's on, uh, and, of course, uh, the news with Elaine and myself. Outlook News. Coventry City Council has been urged not to forget about the elephant in the room as the clock ticks towards four years since the iconic Grade 2 listed city building was last open for use. Coventry Central Baths and Elephant Building has been closed since February 2020, with developers Rainier Development Limited working on plans to bring it back into use. But as of yet, nothing has been brought forward. The Council entered into an exclusivity agreement with Rainier Developments Limited weeks before the closure, meaning the firm had to bring forward a delivery strategy for an acceptable development. In September, Councillor Jim O'Boyle said plans were still being developed by Rainier, but he hoped an announcement could be made within weeks. But this week, Rainier Developments said it was not in a position to release any information about the site. In August 2020, the Coventry Citizens Party started a petition calling for the Elephant Building to be transformed into an Arts and Exhibition Centre. Its founder, Ian Rogers, said, The council keeps saying it has exciting plans for the elephant, but these never seem to materialise. I would still like to see the elephant used as a ballroom to rival Blackpool, and for the old swimming baths to become a new business or convention centre, but this requires vision from the council and funding it does not have. In April, it was revealed that £912,000 had been spent by the Council on maintenance, security and utilities at the Sports and Leisure Centre in Fairfax Street from when it closed in February 2020 to January 2023. The Council said since the building was Grade 2 listed, it had a legal obligation to maintain it. A Sky's Blue supporter is thousands of pounds out of pocket after selling counterfeit items wearing the trademarked CCFC crest. The fan has been told to destroy goods he was hoping to sell following a clampdown on the unauthorised use of the club's protected badge. Action was taken after the culprit ignored several legal warnings. 
to see other people selling products with the club's badge on and that money not coming back to the club was concerning, Dave Boddy, the, uh, the club's chief executive, said. Unfortunately, one supporter chose to continue producing items despite several legal warnings. This led to action being taken against him and ultimately has cost him several thousand pounds both in costs and destroyed items. The club's crest, which features an elephant carrying a castle flanked by an eagle and a phoenix, is trademarked, meaning the club holds exclusive rights to its use. Sky Blues took action against a number of rogue sellers after seeing a huge increase in items being available online from unaffiliated sources. Mugs, replica shirts and framed prints carrying the unique CCFC emblem were among the inferior items changing hands. Some of the sellers were supporters of the club and did not realise their actions were illegal and damaging to the football club and potentially to themselves, Mr Body said. Those sellers have been warned to cease trading items with the club crest on or they could face court action. The rise in rogue sales was attributed to the Sky Blue's increased profile after gaining championship promotion. The club said it had contacted trading standards and, working with a specialist brand protection company, would not hesitate to pursue further enforcement. The crackdown follows the opening of the club's superstore at Coventry Building Society Arena in August. Coventry's bin men and the City Council appear to be on a collision course once more over a row about a controversial perk of the job. The Labour-run Council is reportedly set to fire and rehire all of the City's 130 waste services workers in a dramatic attempt to remove a condition of employment known as task and finish. The condition, which allows bin men to leave for the day as soon as their work is completed, has led to more than 200 equal pay claims from female members of staff at the Council who argue the male-dominated waste services team receives the benefit they do not. Councillors are set to vote next month on the proposal, which has been a thorny issue for some time, and the route of division between the local authority and its staff. If approved, the move would be incredibly unpopular with refuse workers and could lead to more industrial action, the Unite Union has warned. Unite says the council is considering using some of the worst tactics an employer can resort to. One Kassab, Unite's lead officer, accused the council of a race to the bottom. The other option on the table is to terminate workers' contracts and completely outsource the service. But it's thought the preferred option among the council's leadership is to dismiss and re-engage existing employees. Staff would be offered contracts on the same terms, condition and pay, but with the task and finish condition removed. Andrew Walster, Director of the Street Scene and Regulatory Services, said the Council would continue talks with Unite and employees, but that removal of task and finish was non-negotiable. He said, we cannot continue with that practice and we have to change it one way or another. He also said there could be some job losses as part of the planned changes to the way the waste collection service was delivered. Mr Kassab said forcing employees to give up existing conditions would be an absolute disgrace. He said, 
This is Labour administration planning to use some of the worst tactics used by some of the worst employers by hiring and firing and rehiring. I hope that once this news goes out, there's a rethink. Mr Kassab also warned that there could be disruptions to bin collections over Christmas, with members having already voted for strike action. He said, if the council are looking at firing and rehiring our members on worse conditions, then industrial action is very much back on the table. A row over terms and conditions led to a six-month strike from January in 2022. Seen in regulatory services said the council would continue talks with Unite and employees, but that removal of task and finish was non-negotiable. He said, we cannot continue with that practice and we have to change it one way or another. Mr Walster also said there could be some job losses as part of the planned changes to the way the waste collection service was delivered. Mr Kassab said forcing employees to give up existing conditions would be an absolute disgrace. He said, this is Labour administration planning to use some of the worst tactics used by some of the worst employers by firing and rehiring. I hope that once this news goes out, there's a rethink. Mr Kassab also warned there could be disruption to bin collections over Christmas, with members having already voted for strike action. He said, if the council are looking at firing and rehiring our members on worse conditions, then industrial action is very much back on the table. A row over terms and conditions led to a six-month strike from January in 2022. A new highly transmissible strain of COVID is sweeping the USA and could be on its way to the UK, an expert has warned. The new HV1 has been dubbed the grandchild of Omicron and currently accounts for around a quarter of all COVID infections across America. Due to it being so contagious, it is likely to head towards the UK. Dr William Schaffner, a professor of infectious diseases at Vanderbilt University Medical Centre, said one of the characteristics of this entire Omicron family is that they are highly transmissible. The HV1 is emerging at a time when, according to data, almost 17 million people in the UK have not yet had their autumn COVID booster jab, despite being eligible. The jab programme was reportedly rushed in due to the rise in the COVID variant, BA286. Now, as winter is around the corner and Christmas looms, those who are eligible are being urged to get their jabs by health bosses. The telltale signs of the new HV1 strain to look out for are cough, muscle aches, sore throat, runny nose, fatigue, congestion or stuffiness, fever or chills, and headache. Testing and isolating is no longer mandatory, but it is recommended by the NHS that people stay at home and avoid contact with others if they experience symptoms of COVID or test positive. Mm. A Coventry councillor was left fuming after hearing how a broken children's home market is fueling the high cost of care. 
Councillor Richard Brown said the problem has to be fixed as the council faces a massive 4.2 million overspend in children's services. Most of this money is set to go on soaring residential placement costs due to a lack of sufficiency in the market, a monitoring report said in August. The challenge around children's care was discussed by councillors and officers at a scrutiny meeting last week. It heard the council is taking action to tackle high costs and has a plan to grow its own residential homes, which it says will be better for the children. But this strategy comes with its own challenges, including how local people will react to the news. There are 67 looked-after Coventry children who live in children's homes. When placing a child, the council only looks at the wider market of residential placements after seeing if its own places or block-booked ones can be used first. Prices have risen by a significant amount in the last five years due to shifts in the market being able to meet children's needs, with some placements having multiple referrals, it said. And the report quoted a government review this year which found local authorities are paying excessive amounts for some children's care, but this does not always result in better outcomes. It said the price of newly commissioned residential placements rose significantly in the last 12 months and again linked this to the market. Exact figures weren't given in public reports to protect people's identities and commercial confidentiality. But the Council's most recent forecast is that it will overspend by 3.2 million on children's placements this year, a rise of 1 million compared to this time last year. Officers stressed that this is a problem seen nationally, adding that eye-watering costs have been seen at other authorities recently. The cost of children's care nationally soared by 500 million in real terms in just 12 months, from 2021 to 2022, which demonstrates the problems and the issues faced on a national, regional and local level. The number of cases of measles in Coventry and Warwickshire have been confirmed as the nation is hit by a devastating resurgence. The UK Health Security Agency notified of twice as many suspected cases as in 2022 following a reported fall in the vaccine rates. According to data, in the last five weeks alone there have been 137 notifications of potential measles cases. It includes 19 in the West Midlands region. According to an interactive map, there have been four in the Coventry and Warwickshire area. Measles is a highly infectious disease with potentially serious complications, especially for the very young. Aching and feeling unwell, high fever, a rash, which sometimes starts behind the ears, sore red eyes, a cough and a runny nose are some of the symptoms. Amid rising cases, the Royal College of Paediatrics and Child Health has issued national guidance on the treatment of measles for the first time in decades. A poster has also been produced advising healthcare professionals to think measles when treating children. Dr Camilla Kingdon, Royal College President, said, Having to consider measles in our national guidance for the first time in decades is a disappointing but necessary move. 
Vaccination coverage for children under the age of five is now the lowest it has ever been in the last ten years. One of the UK's largest energy suppliers, Octopus Energy, is moving to Coventry City Centre. The deal with Coventry City Council will see Octopus occupy over 10,000 square feet of space across one floor of the two Frygate office buildings. It will also involve moving 150 staff to Frygate from the company's Leamington office. Octopus is expected to occupy space by February 2024, initially taking one floor, but with the prospect of further space in the following years. The company has held a presence near Coventry since 2019, when Octopus acquired Co-op Energy and inherited their team and office in Leamington Spa. Rebecca Dibbs-Simpkin, Chief Marketing and Product Officer at Octopus Energy, said... As a local to Coventry, I, along with many of my team, were very keen to find a great home base for our Leamington people, keep building our West Midlands team, and maintain a growing presence in the area. After it reached capacity in Leamington, Coventry was chosen as the best place to continue growing the team. With improved transport links for further staff recruitment and retention, the city allows Octopus to recruit young, new talent from Coventry's two universities. The hiring practice mirrors its recruitment in other cities like Manchester, Leicester, Brighton and London. Two Frygate is Coventry's newest Grade A office building and the second building to be developed as part of the wider Frygate business district. Councillor Jim O'Boyle said... Octopus Energy is leading the way on renewable energy supply and are highly rated by their customers and the sector. We're pleased that Coventry will be pivotal to the company's growth plans. A date has finally been set for the opening of a much-talked-about Aldi's store in Coventry. There's been talk of a new Aldi at Aldi's retail park since the brand initially submitted its plans to the City Council in 2020. Now, fans have only days to wait after the German retailer announced it would finally be opening the shop this week. After years in the making, Aldi at Alvis Retail Park is due to open this Thursday, that's tomorrow as we record, Thursday the 30th of November, a spokesman said. Come along to the opening day, uh, this is probably a little late for it, but never mind, go along still, to meet a Team GB athlete and win a bag full of Aldi's famous Super 6, or pick up some exclusive special buy offers. We even have the full Kevin the Carrot range up for grabs. Remember, once they're gone, they're gone. The store will be Aldi's sixth in Coventry, alone and, in Coventry alone, and the second to open in the city in recent months. Paralympic uh, athlete Libby Clegg was at the launch of the Aldi outlet at Central Six Retail Park on October the 5th. Dozens of jobs were created when that particular store launched, and the same is expected at the branch at Hollyhead Road, one of the busiest routes into the city. Its standard opening hours will be 8am to 10pm Monday to Saturday, and from 10am to 4pm on Sundays. Protesters hit the streets of Coventry City Centre to demand that the council closes its waste incinerator. Armed with a large Clean Up Your Act banner and flags, they staged a protest in Broadgate. The campaigners were protesting against the City Council's waste incinerator. 
They claim that the incinerator generates too much carbon dioxide. They allege that the city council has sent too much rubbish, which could have been recycled, to be burnt in the incinerator. However, the city council said the plant complied with all government regulations. But the local authority said it is working with residents in a bid to increase recycling levels. We are proud to take our waste and recycling responsibilities seriously, and we do not chase results which can often see waste problems shifted elsewhere, the councillors said. The delayed planning inquiry to decide the future of a once iconic motorsport venue is set to conclude this week, with details published on what comes next. Coventry Stadium, home of the Coventry B Speedway team and stock car racing until it was closed in 2016, is the subject of plans from the site owner's Brandon Estate to replace it with 124 homes, a 3G football pitch and pavilion. Planning permission was unanimously refused by Rugby Borough Council's Planning Committee in November 22, with Brandon Estates exercising its rights to appeal via a full inquiry, the most formal process by which such decisions are taken, with legal representatives cross-examining parties and expert witnesses to investigate evidence. The vast majority of the case has been heard, but proceedings were paused so evidence could, evidence could be prepared over a disagreement between the NHS and Rugby Borough Council. It relates to whether a financial contribution towards health care should be made by the developer should the housing get the green light. University Hospitals Coventry and Warwickshire NHS Trust has requested £133,754 of funding to cater for the increased number of residents, but the Council says the request does not comply with planning policies. Irrespective of whether Brandon and States would be willing to pay, the Council's argument is that waiving through funding that does not meet criteria could set a precedent for future housing proposals in the borough, potentially causing problems or even making them un- unviable. The NHS believes that its request to be necessary and directly related to the development. Coventrians will get the chance to uncover what has been found in a medieval building in Kersley and evidence of the people who lived there over 500 years ago at an open day next month. A free event will be held at Kersley Community Library between 4pm and 6pm on Wednesday, December the 6th. Archaeological work has recently been undertaken by Worcester Archaeology on the edge of Kersley Village, where the remains of a probable medieval building have been recorded. There was also a cobbled surface and other archaeological features found in the dig. The open day will allow people to see what has been found, handle some of the finds and discover what goes on during such excavations. Countryside Partnerships and Platform Housing Group are building 260 affordable homes on the site where the finds were made. Nina O'Hare from Worcestershire Archaeology's outreach team said, This is a great chance for people to discover more about and even hold the archaeology on their doorstep. Most excavations, including this one, happen as part of a planning process, so it's wonderful to get a chance to share the results with people. There's nothing quite like holding an object that is centuries old, 
wondering who made it and all the stories it could tell. If you're wondering where to have that pre-Christmas catch-up with friends, maybe look no further. The old Clarence might just have everything you need going by the comments on TripAdvisor in recent weeks. The Elson pub has been showered with praise for its atmosphere and also its food offering. Each of the last eight reviews on TripAdvisor were five-star excellent, pushing it up to number three for pub food in the city. The most recent reviewer, who visited the pub for a night out with friends, focused on the ambience and vibe. They have an array of drinks to choose from, at least 12 different ciders, multiple gin flavours and loads of others, they wrote. Highly recommended the cocktails. Absolutely cracking night, a second visitor said. Staff are amazing and know what you want before you even order your second round. It was like being in a local pub, but with more to it. Totally recommend. The food menu has plenty of classics as well. The festive beef burger right now is £8.99, or you could be bold and get a burning hot double beef burger for £9.99. There are chicken tikka masalas, all-day breakfast, and chip shop platters, all for similar prices. Not forgetting desserts such as cookie apple pie and sticky toffee pudding. And there are light bites, healthy meals, options for the kids and vegans, and you can choose your own salad. Run by Stonegate Group, the Old Clarence builds itself as a friendly local pub known for great food and drinks at fantastic prices and has a four-star rating on TripAdvisor. Commentary Cathedral will be getting in the holiday spirit with festive music at its Christmastide celebration. The annual charity fundraiser will be held at the Cathedral on Saturday, December the 9th at 6pm to raise funds for Coventry and Warwickshire Children's Charity. The concert is being presented by Coventry Cathedral Chorus, which will perform a host of classic Christmas carols and other festive favourites alongside the Brass Band of Central England, Heart of England School and Coventry Cathedral Choristers. Refreshments will also be available. The charity was launched in 1996 and has raised more than 3 million in Coventry and Warwickshire for children who have suffered from physical, mental or sexual abuse. Tickets cost £15 for adults, £13 for over 60s, £7.50 for children and students and £40 for a family of two adults and two children. Outlook News. That thanks uh, Elaine to help with the news. With Christmas just a few short weeks, Grace Sarah is here to bring you more information on your future entertainment around the city. So, as I say, that uh, completes the uh, roundup of the local news for, for the week. I've got the usual announcement. The one must be boring you to death by now, because the days are getting so darn short. About eight hours only. Sunrise is 7.50, and sunset is 3.59. Uh, I've got to get a little bit more short yet before we get the shortest day in about three weeks' time, isn't it? it so is. at least then we can start looking forward to longer days. So now, from there on, we move to the centre here, and here's Hugh. Thank you very much, Nigel. Right. 
So, uh, last week I told you about Rosie's uh, funeral, so I just want to reiterate what the arrangements are for that. Uh, so, the funeral will be on the 14th of December, which is a Thursday, uh, and on that day the centre uh, will, of course, be closed completely to groups. Um, the the uh, funeral service will take place at 11.30 in the morning uh, at John Fisher Roman Catholic Church on Tiverton Road in Wyken. Um, uh, the wake stroke celebration of life uh, will be uh, taking place uh, in the afternoon at Jaguar Social Club in Alsley and in between there's a private interment. Now, um, with uh, just talking with the family about uh, whether people can go straight from the church to the uh, to the social club. I think they probably will be able. You probably will be able to. But I'm just um, finalising that, so I'll let you know about that in due course. Um, there are, of course, uh, people who will uh, want lifts. Want uh, lifts there. Now we only have 18 places on the minibuses. Um, so what we uh, what we've done is we've asked what we're asking volunteers to uh, sign up if they can all also give lifts um, so if you re- but if you really struggle with the car um, let us know and we'll uh, prioritize you for the bus well so what we need to know is well obviously your name who you are um, uh, in your postcode I mean if you haven't got it to hand then you know we can always find it out <coughs> uh, and whether you want to go to uh, whether you want a lift from your home to the church thereafter um, to the wake and thereafter back home again uh, so if you can let us know uh, let us know about that that would be good and then and if you absolutely just you know, think that you really really need the bus as a per- and you couldn't get into a car then uh, you can let us know about that as well so presumably those who don't want to go to the wake or can't go to the wake can get a lift back from if they have come on the bus in any case come as well y- yes that's absolutely the that's yeah. the alternative right. as well so yeah. yes we can get some people back straight after the uh, after funeral. the funeral itself um, so uh, the uh, wake in the afternoon will have uh, quite a lot of involvement from the resource centre. Uh, the music group will be playing at both the ceremony and indeed um, in the afternoon. <coughs> um, I'll be saying something and various other people will be saying things as well. Uh, and hopefully we'll have contributions from the, uh, from the creative writing group. Uh, and also um, we will... Uh, have uh, something that the craft group are, are cooking up, so uh, as a as a as a little com- commemorative thing for uh, for for Rosie. Um, so I think that's that's it. If anybody has any questions, do please give us a call on the centre number, which is o two four seven six seven one seven five two two. Now the family have asked um, uh, uh, for family flowers only, and um, for donations. Uh, to the centre um, so we've set up a, a just giving page um, I won't give you the link on the uh, on the radio because it's there's no point really um, but uh, if you uh, are useful with um, IT uh, you can have a look it's on our Facebook page um, and uh, we, you can click from there uh, and uh, make a donation in, in Rosie's memory um, if you so wish there are plenty of other opportunities as well there will be uh, collection boxes at the centre uh, and we're 
quite happy to take donations directly here um, uh, on behalf. So we'll we will uh, and we'll make sure to let the family know as, as well um, uh, at the proper time. My just giving page on, on the internet. I think can't you direct? Yes, yes, you can. Yes, yeah. you can. You can also just look. Uh, if you go to just giving and then yeah. look for Coventry Resource Centre yeah. for the Blind, so, or yeah. indeed Rosie Brady, yeah. then uh, that should uh, uh, the the page should come up. Um, now, as I mentioned last week, because uh, Rosie's funeral is on the 14th of December, the theatre trip that was on the 14th is now moved forward to the 12th of December, so that's the Tuesday. Everybody who signed up so far knows about that, but there is an opportunity. I still have, like, one, and I might be able to get a few more tickets um, for that. So if you would like to come to the theatre trip on um, Tuesday the 12th of December uh, please call us and let us know uh, we'll be going and doing a touch tour at 5 o'clock as usual oh, I should tell you what the play is Arsenic and Old Lace uh, Joseph Kesselring um, so uh, good uh, uh, sort of seasonal it's not seasonal at all but it's a, it's a comedy it's a fun, it's a fun, it's a fun yeah. thing with murder uh, <laughs> and uh, so that uh, we'll Touch door at five o'clock. Back up here for fish and chips afterwards, uh, and then down to the uh, down to the show in the evening. Um, before all that, though, this coming Saturday we have the winter warmer, uh, which takes place, uh, and that's uh, all the usual um, stalls and uh, food. I shall be cooking up a storm um, Friday afternoon, Friday night, probably very early on Saturday morning before coming in. Uh, <laughs> coming in, so there'll be pork batches, two types of soup. I've determined this year um, that it's going to be pumpkin and uh, spiced pumpkin soup. There is always going to be a pumpkin soup because we grow so many pumpkins. Uh, this is one way that I get r rid of them. I still have 17 at home. <laughs> um, and... <laughs> And then so pumpkin, uh, pumpkin soup for everyone. Yes, exactly. <laughs> it's like courgette season. It's yes. like courgette surprise. <laughs> um, but anyway, this is uh, pumpkin soup. Uh, it's, it's very nice. It's nice. Um, and then um, uh, we'll be having a leek and potato soup for those who don't like a, a, a bit of spice. There'll be uh, said pork and stuffing batches, uh, a, a selection of other batches and uh, cakes and what have you. Uh, Tea, coffee, hot chocolate, Bailey's coffee, and mulled wine. So it's a, a, a nice, nice lot to choose from there. Uh, we've had a lovely response to uh, for people uh, baking cakes uh, for the for sale on the day. If yeah, you would like to add to that number, the more the merrier, uh, and we'll be happy to receive them um, on Friday afternoon or on uh, Saturday morning, um, as as you wish. So that would be very nice. What time does the proceeding start? It starts. Well, thank you. You're you're, you're a very good, uh, very good uh, <laughs> wingman prompt, here. Prompt. Yes. Um, at eleven o'clock it starts. It starts at eleven o'clock. If you come before an eleven o'clock, you'll probably be sitting there being ignored for a bit because well, well. <laughs> still working but um, 11 o'clock till 3 o'clock um, and uh, so yeah basically in time for lunch essentially yeah. Yeah. Uh, so there'll be a tombola and there'll be stalls the charity shop will be open as well and there's some great stuff in the charity shop there at the moment not least it has to be said a rather uh, rather lovely um, uh, dining 
China and and what have you. This beautiful Royal Albert, um, white with a sort of gold and green edge. Mm-hmm. And I I know how beautiful this is because it used to be my mum's. Oh right. Um, and uh, <laughs> I would have had it if I had space. And we had those sorts of dinner parties. But if you're looking mm-hmm. for a dinner mm-hmm. dinner service, mm-hmm. um, classic design. It's a very yeah, classic design. Very it's absolutely yeah. gorgeous. Yeah. So um, uh, you know if you're if you're interested in that, there is quite a quite a lot of that available. So um, because my mum never did things by half. Getting quick. Getting quick, yes. yeah. Um, so, uh, now the next thing we uh, have... I, I told you about this um, a number of weeks ago about some equipment that we were getting in um, uh, from Associated Optical. This is the digital magnifier. We've got a few digital magnifiers here, um, but we've just got a new one that's been delivered today, um, which is the Visalux XL 12-inch um, digital magnifier. So it's quite a, it's it's like a very large tablet um, that, uh, that so it's a good size screen uh, that is a digital magnifier, and um, uh, if you trying to buy this yourself, um, it would knock you back um, 1,500 quid, um, or indeed more. I can't remember exactly what the list price is. But here, um, because we get such good discount from the uh, from the company that, that sells it, uh, we're able to sell them for £798, uh, which is a very good price indeed. So if, you, if you've been looking at, you know, wanting to get a, 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 a digital magnifier with a good screen, a good size screen, and it's got all the bells and whistles. And You've it's got one here they can see. Anyways. Yes, you can. Yeah. In fact, I mean, you can actually buy it okay. if you want, yeah. you know, there and then if you fancy. Uh, but it's um, it's a very good piece of kit. So do please, if you're interested, come and have a look. If you're fancying treating yourself for Christmas, or you can persuade somebody else to treat you to essentially 800 worth, 800 quid's worth of kit for Christmas, um, and some of you may be in that fortunate position. Sadly, I'm not. Um, then you can. Uh, then, uh, you know, we have that here. Uh, it's definitely worth a look. Uh, now, I ought to tell you as well, um, I think I have mentioned this before as well, but I, I, uh, I will start telling you every week now. The centre uh, closes on uh, at the end of play on Friday the 22nd of December, and it reopens uh, at, uh, well, 9 o'clock on Tuesday the 2nd of January. So all that 10 uh, days. That 10 days. So we're always, as ever, closed uh, in between uh, Christmas and New Year. Yeah. As um, we will be as well. And indeed. That's opportunity for me to say we are not broadcasting on the 20th or the 27th. Right. Okay. That's fine. Well, that's useful. I shall tell the post office as well. Absolutely. So there we are. So uh, if anybody, as I say, has any questions um, about um, uh, Rosie's funeral, uh, do, do give us a call um, and uh, we will do our level best to help. Excellent. Thank you. That's, that's you done, is it? That's me done. Thank you very much. See you, Hugh. See you next week. Thank Bye-bye. you. Bye-bye. Now, with Christmas just a few, few short weeks away, Sarah is here to bring you more information on your future entertainment around the city. Well, hello, listeners, and welcome to this edition of On In Cov. Firstly, can I apologise for it being much shorter than usual, but I have had a dreadful week. And I'm afraid, sort of, on in Coventry got pushed to the back, rather. But, hey-ho, it is Advent. Now, whether you see Advent as the beginning of the start of Christmas, when Christians, we count down to Christmas, 
with the lighting of the Advent calendar to mark the coming of Christ. Or whether you just think, great, I can sort of put up my Christmas tree and open that Advent calendar bulging with chocolates. It's an exciting time. Now, all of these events are on at the cathedral and I'm indebted to Sue, Sue Parker, for sending me the link. Firstly, on Saturday the 2nd of December, there is an all, there is a Christmas market running from 10am to 2pm and it also includes a lantern making drop-in. So even if you are not into making lanterns, perhaps your children are or your grandchildren, the event also includes music. So you've got crafts and music at the cathedral from 10 till 2 and make the lanterns if you wish. And then later on on the Saturday, at 7pm in fact, there is a screening of Nativity, the U-classified film that was actually made in Coventry just across from the cathedral in University Square. And it all starts with this rumour or this white lie that a Hollywood director is going to bring the classic remake of the Nativity to the city. Whoa, and he does. And we are guaranteed music, dancing, and perhaps even a donkey. <laughs> now, there is a second screening on Sunday the 3rd at 4pm. Now, for both of them, ticket prices, full price are £9, but it's advertised that there are reductions and that that includes concessions, but it doesn't say how much they are. But for children, for example, it's £6, but though family tickets are available. You are advised to take a cushion and a blanket because the screening will be in the nave. Mm. And hot chocolate will be served before to get everybody in the Christmas spirit. So, if you want a book, you can do so straight through their website, www.coventrycathedral, or one word, .org.uk. But it says if you have any access requirements, please don't hesitate to contact events at coventrycathedral.org.uk. Now, they don't actually give a phone number, but thanks to Google, Dr. Google, I found the main one for the cathedral and I'm sure they can point you in the right direction. So that is 024 7652 1200. And is it too soon to say, Happy Christmas, folks? And I'll see you probably next week with a full-length edition of On In Cox.
Now with her take on sport, here's Sarah to tell you about the last week's action. Outlook Sport Well hi there folks, yes and welcome to this week's sport. And I have to say I'm glad at the moment that I'm an armchair watcher because my days of shivering on the terraces, particularly at night matches, are long gone. Right, I'll start at, well, our top-ranked league, which is Coventry City, who are in the championship. Coventry travelled to Millwall this weekend. Now, Millwall fans have a reputation for being, shall we say, not the nicest and the friendliest. And apparently, when the players got off their coach, Coventry players, that is, they were greeted by a lot of Millwall fans chanting, Welcome to hell! Well, that's a nice friendly greeting, isn't it? Anyway, the last laugh was on us because we won! Yay! Bringing to the end our track of... of Beats, we won Millwall 0, Coventry City 3. And you could say it was a series of firsts because the second goal was our, the first goal for our new recent signing Japanese international Sakamoto. Our third goal was scored from a corner. Wow, it was actually the first corner this season that we have converted into a goal. Now, but there it kind of ends because it was our second win this season and what's more, it was our second win in London because our first win came against Watford. Oh well. Now, moving down a league and changing gender. Big congratulations to Rugby Borough women's side who are through to the third round of the Adobe FA Cup. I assume it's called Adobe because Adobe must be sponsoring it. They beat Solihull Moors 7-1, a score which included the first ever hat-trick for one of their players. So well done our women, bring it on. Now moving further down in the league structure and change, reverting back to the men's game, in the Midland Southern Premier League, Stratford travelled away to Long Eaton and all I can say is that I know Stratford won I can't give you a score because I gave up trying to find one on their Facebook site. Meanwhile, Leamington entertained Redditch at home and won 3-0. This brings Leamington's successes to 8 on the trot. So well done our Leamington and I believe they're third in the league. Mm -hmm. In fact, it was rather funny because the commentator said, oh, well, there's just about 30 seconds left in the Leamington match. And I can tell you it's 
And then they went on to interviewing some of the City players and he came back and said, oh, the Leamington match actually finished 3-0. Now, sadly, Nuneaton travelled away to league leaders Mickleover and came out 2-0 down. But big B-U-T, the headline for Nuneaton is that they have been saved. They've been taken over by, well, it's a company apparently, D4 Capital. They specialise in taking over failing football clubs and getting them back on their feet and then selling them on for a profit. But I did notice again from their Facebook site that there is still a ground issue and certainly tonight's match and Saturday's match are now being played away instead of at home. So, all in all, a good week for our football teams but change of shape of ball and the code of union. Rugby union, well... Coventry travelled away to league leaders, Ealing Trail Finders. Now our sort of history against Ealing is very dodgy because they are out and out the leaders in our division. At half time it was all going so well for Coventry and they led eight points to seven. But by the end of full time, Ealing ran out winners 31 points to 13. In fact, shortly after half time, Ealing scored twice, which kind of, you know, put the kibosh on our hopeful successes. Anyway, onward and upward, lads. And now I'm going to turn my attention to a sport I don't usually cover. Boxing, but not just any boxing, women's boxing. Because at the weekend, you may have heard, Kate, Ireland's Katie Taylor beat England's Chantel Cameron to take the double weight, that is the lightweight and the welterweight, world champion belts. I don't think the magnitude of Katie Taylor has really been appreciated in this country, although she is a world icon. I mean, she first sprung to my attention at the London 2012 Olympics when she took gold. But of course, all of the English attention was paid to Nicola Adams, who was likewise also taking gold but in a different weight. But, I mean, Katie is just a phenomenon and something else. Anyway, all of this sets her up for her next fight, which is in Madison Square Gardens. You've certainly arrived there. And then back to the more sedate game of tennis. You may remember last week I told you that England, well, Great Britain, were facing Novak Djokovic's Serbia in their first round proper of the Davis Cup. 
Well, it was pretty predictable. Unfortunately, Jack Draper lost the first match where sort of commentators and hopefuls thought we stood a chance of winning, though he took his Serbian opponent to two tie breaks before going down two sets to love. But then bring on Novak, who defeated Cameron Norrie also in two sets. So Serbia beat Great Britain 2-0. No need for the third round, the pairs, because it was all over. <laughs> but then it didn't quite go to plan for Serbia and Mr. Jokovic, because in the next round, the sort of semi-finals, Serbia came up against Italy and won Janek Sinner. Now, you may remember I told you again last week that Sinner had actually beaten Novak in the ATP final in the sort of round robin, although he lost to him in the final match, making Novak the ATP champion. Well, this time, Mr. Sinner got the upper hand. He beat Novak Jokovic in both the singles and in the doubles. And actually, Italy, who Sinner plays for, then went on to beat Australia in the finals. So, well done to Italy. And finally, well, actually, it's not so much... And finally, it's more a stop press, because I literally just heard this on the radio. You know I mentioned that Rugby Borough women were through to the third round of the Adobe FA Cup? Well, so too are Cowden Court Ladies FC, who I confess I've never heard of. But... They are so excited when you look at their Facebook page. In fact, they say everything apart from the score yesterday. But they beat Leafield Athletic, who I confess I've also never heard of. But from the look of things, Leafield were vastly superior in league standings to Little Camden Court ladies. So... We have two teams into the third round of the FA Cup. Oh, an extra stop press I've just found. They beat Leafield away 2-0. So well done, Camden Court. You've done the city proud. And that is your sport for this week. Bye. So that's your sport for this week. With thanks to Sarah. And from those highlights, it's time for Dave with your postbag. This is Postbag. Join in the discussion. Hello there. I would just like to start off Postbag by saying hello to Maggie, whom I met up with at the White Folk Club. I thought I'd seen her before. She was a member of Visibly Sound and she came to myself and Sheila's golden wedding party and she sang with the other members 
the song Love Is All Around by the Trogs, which was our song. Maggie explained that when she came before to the club some time ago, uh, nobody spoke to her, and she explained that being blind, she doesn't know who's there, so she can't just go over and speak to someone, like I do. But is this a problem that you've experienced? Now, I was delighted to chat to her, and for singing our song, I gave her a copy of the Christmas EP CD, A Folking Good Christmas. All proceeds go to the George Eliot Hospital Dementia Ward. So I reported on the CD launch in last week's Outlook, and uh, they are £5 each. So give me a ring on 02476 and I'll try and get a copy to you. Now, Robert Franklin told us in Postbag how he had met singer Simon Coates at a Rotary Club meeting, and he told him that he was happy to sing for charities, so naturally I phoned him up, booked him straight away for the Monday Club. He was so nice, and he invited members to hold the microphone and join in. So here's Simon to say hello to you, Robert, followed by a song with Francis, and I'm here, I'm, I'm in there somewhere as well, and starting off, she was singing a duet with him. Hello Robert, I've just been here at the Coventry, where are we? Coventry Resource Centre for the Blind. Coventry Resource Centre for the Blind, and we've just had some fun here, having a bit of a party with some music and entertainment. I think we all enjoyed it, didn't we? Yeah! Yeah, there we go, it was a really good time. I look forward to seeing you um, at Rugby Baptist Church, and um, when I'm back in rugby. See you soon Robert, bye bye now.
are from a little white flower that grows on the Austrian Alps to the last leaf of autumn by Julia. This is a sad story from the Torch Fellowship. Once upon a time there was a couple who lived in a New York apartment. One day the lady felt very poorly and was diagnosed with pneumonia. She was told she would soon die. She looked out of the window and saw autumn leaves on the wall opposite. She was so sad and said, When the last leaf falls, I will die. She counted down the days and counted the leaves too. One windy day she opened the curtains and there was only one leaf left on the wall. Her husband was very upset about the poor lady. Sadly, he died suddenly that same day and he had a paintbrush in his hand. It turned out that he loved his wife so much that he had painted the last leaf on the wall opposite the apartment. The good news was the lady made a full recovery. So the moral of the story is, if you want to get rid of your husband, give him a paintbrush and tell him you're not well. Yet I've given a paintbrush to my friend John. Merry Christmas, everyone. Julia. <laughs> right, OK. Now, here's a lovely story from Ed Wiener. Meeting a dog on a minibus going to the resource centre. Hi, everybody. Here's a little tale to tell. At the resource centre, I have got regular mini pick-up and take-home buses. So, if you visit the resource centre, you're always safely taken there and taken home. On one of the Mondays, I was taking advantage of this and I was picked up as usual. I was the first one on the bus. So then we travelled round to pick the next person up. The next person that got on the bus was a young man with a guide dog. Fine. I was sat on the first seat inside by the door. He was sat across from me and the dog was sitting in the gangway. I stroked the dog because the dog was pushing with his nose. So I stroked the little dog and talked to it, you know, it said how good he was and how lovely, etc. But then I was aware of the dog pulling my coat. So I pushed him up a bit and then he came back and he's pulling the coat again. So I said to the young man, your dog is pulling my coat. I said, he won't stop doing it. So he pulled him and said something to him. So I thought, fine. The next thing I knew, the dog had come back again. This time, he was really pulling the coat. So, I said to the young man, um, he's really got hold of my coat now, I said. You can move him. So, he did. So, as the journey was going on and people were being picked up, it suddenly dawned on me. 
In my pocket of a very light coat, I had got one wine gum in my pocket. It twigged with me. He must have smelt the wine gum and he was trying to get hold of it. And that is why he was pulling the coat. And he, he couldn't understand why he could taste the wine gum, but he couldn't have it. When I went into Braille class, um, my tutor told me who the young man was and the fact that he got his first guide dog and it was a puppy dog. So he was still being trained. But I told him the story of the wine gum. I said he obviously tasted it and couldn't understand why he couldn't just grab it and enjoy it. <laughs> so there you are. That was a little tale to tell. Keep smiling, everybody. Bye. Thank you, Edwina, for that doggy tale. Now, I'm delighted to hear again from Majid Hussein, who has sent me an email to davidmonks at hotmail.com. Hi there, David and all. Thank you for the talking newspaper. I enjoy Postbag and the news and the what's on at the centre. I'm not a sports fan, so the three segments I've mentioned are the key items I listen to. I find it more comfortable listening to digital download. USB sticks can get lost this way. There's no worry of loss, apart from the audio quality. I'm a fan of local radio, at least I was, until this wholesale devolution of local radio, that is. It's truly a shame what the management from on high are doing and have done to the service. We, the listeners, were not asked if we wanted this. The BBC have just gone ahead with these cuts. It's a sad day in the universe of radio. I hope everyone has a wonderful week and everyone has much fun and happiness. I hope everyone takes care of themselves. If you are in need of an ear, talk to a friend. It helps. Never under any circumstances keep things bottled up. That road never ends in happiness. Keep smiling, and as my younger self said once, I hope you all have a good night's sleep, Majid. Thank you, Majid, and for those wise words. I really appreciated them. And uh, Vic Manette is still on in the mornings. She spoke at the Monday Club once, so she must be good. Lots of things to talk about there. Uh, local radio. Problems of people not speaking to you in a crowded room if you can't see them. A doggy story. And please send in your Christmas greetings. And anything Christmassy for your festive edition of Outlook. Please don't leave it too late or you'll be too late. You can ring up that number on 02476 717522 and press 5 for Coventry Talking Newspaper. Uh, you can write a letter either written by you or someone on your behalf. You can send me an email davidmonks at hotmail.com or you can even ring me up 
02476 598484 I don't mind at all uh, Lovely to hear from you Thank you for your messages this week and join me next week for your postbag Bye for now This is Outlook You can contact Postbag Our website is www.talkingnewspaper.org.uk Our email address is postbag at talkingnewspaper.org.uk Join in the discussion on Postbag From current entertainment to historical spectacle many centuries ago Commentary, of course, is synonymous with car-making, bicycles, watches, silk-weaving, and, hundreds of years back, Leofric and Godiva. Margaret now tells a story taken from commentary echoes of the past about Lady Godiva's ride. More lasting than stone is the story of Godiva's ride. Much has been made of the fact that some 120 years passed before a chronicler, a Benedictine monk, Roger of Wendover from the Abbey of St Albans put quill to parchment to record the event. Much has also been made of the fact that the story has parallels in other parts of the country and abroad. However, assuming that if it were common practice for ladies of high position to win favours for their people by riding naked through public places, then it would not be surprising that such a commonplace occurrence should escape the attention of contemporary reporters, only to be revived in a later age when standards had undergone a sea change. Godiva existed. She was wife of Leofric, Earl of Mercia, mother of Elfgar, Earl of East Anglia, and possibly also mother of Heriwood the Wake, the heroic resistance leader of the Fens, grandmother of Earls Edwin and Morker, and of Old Garth, wife of Griffith, Prince of Wales, and later the wife of Harold, King of England. She was Saxon, God-fearing, and so much a champion of her people that her name was used as a rallying cry by Saxons long after her death and by Normans as an insult to Saxon sympathisers. More doubts about her ride are maintained by cold academics because of the absence of the Charter, which was the basis of her bargain with Leofric, and which she presented to the people of Coventry. But then Leofric's Charter relating to the foundation of the Benedictine monastery has never been found either. But founded the monastery was, and ride, I believe, Godiva did. Roger of Wendover is specific about the reason, the route and the details. With many prayers to free the people from toll, until he, Leofric, gave answer. Ride naked through the length of the marketplace, when the people are gathered together, and when thou returnest, thy petition shall be fulfilled. Then the countess, beloved of God, loosened her hair, thus veiling her body, and then mounting her horse and attended by two knights, she rode through the market, seen of none, her white legs nevertheless appearing, and having completed her journey, returned to her husband rejoicing, and obtained from him what she had asked, so he forthwith gave the townsfolk a charter, emancipating them from the aforesaid service. 
The Earl had no castle residence at the time and probably occupied quarters within the monastery enclave. Devout lady that Godiva was, it's reasonable to suppose that she began her unusual bargain by seeking the blessing of the clergy in the Priory Church. Her knightly retainers would have held her steed on rein outside in what is now Priory Row. The marketplace of the time stood outside the monastery gate in what is now Cross Cheaping. The journey would have been short in duration, in modern terms, along half the length of Priory Row, across the top of Trinity Street and down the short length of Cross Cheaping, but long enough for a lady of modesty to endure. Leofric the Grim indeed. Peeping Tom, however, seems to be a manufactured piece of later legend, a salutary tale to discourage would-be malefactors. The legend tells how the people stayed indoors rather than subject their benefactress to humiliation, while only Tom took advantage of the unusual situation. But it's not difficult to imagine peasant eyes at every nook and cranny in the daub and wattle, and peasant limbs jostling for the better vantage points, or has human nature changed so much? Several peeping Tom figures have, and still do, gazed down upon the city, but perhaps the best-known representation of Tennyson's Low Churl, Compact of Thankless Earth, the fatal byword of all years to come, is a strange, life-size figure carved from oak. Thought to have been fashioned as an effigy of St George, it is anachronistically garbed in the trappings of an Elizabethan soldier and used to be topped with a Napoleonic hat. For several hundred years, it has leaned from the high windows in the city. From 1812 until 1939, it gazed down from the top northeastern window of the King's Head Hotel, which stood where Smithford Street met Hartford Street. The arms of the figure were apparently truncated, the better to facilitate its appointed window duty. After several moves, including a period when Tom was detailed to scan the foyer of the Hotel Leofric in Broadgate, it has been seen in the Cathedral Lane shopping mall, confined within a glass case. A convincing replica is on exhibition in the Herbert Art Gallery and Museum. Godiva has endured with the passage of time, and surely the world's longest-running radio soap, The Archers, will be remembered long into the future. Soon now recounts why the tales of everyday country folk have obsessed us for more than 70 years. It's the world's longest-running drama, created way before most of its audience were born, and still going strong today. Such is the pulling power of the archers that everybody from Queen Camilla to Ryan Clark listens to it and wants to be on it. Over the years, Ambridge has played host to countless five-star guests as diverse as Sir Bradley Wiggins and Dame Judi Dench. As a radio show, it's a world beater with more than 20,000 episodes to date, making it the longest-running contemporary drama ever broadcast. This everyday story of country folk has been going since Clement Attlee was Prime Minister and Elizabeth II had yet to ascend the throne. 
It has weathered changes in politics, music, fashion and technology over the years and its future seems safer than the gold bars in the Bank of England's vaults. Yet the Beeb nearly axed the show in the 1970s when it lost confidence in its direction. And for a show about rural farming folk, it's never very far away from controversy. But it inspires a loyalty and a fascination which borders on the obsessive among its five million regular listeners. Changes in cast or plot often creating headlines when devoted Archer's fans rise up in anger. Dying in a fire, falling off a roof, a plane crash, an armed siege, all can tip them over the edge. Addicted to the daily outpourings from Ambridge and devoted to the characters and storylines, the Archer's Brigade feel they know every secret about life in Borsetshire. But thankfully, there's plenty more to be told and a rattling new memoir spills the beans on the show. The Archers was created by Godfrey Baisley, the son of a Quaker butcher who was inspired by another runway radio success, Dick Barton, special agent. He launched the show on BBC Midlands on May the 29th, 1950. It went nationwide the following year. He was a genius, says Graham Harvey, author of the riveting new memoir Underneath the Archers. And he should know. He was script writer and script editor on the show for 30 years. At the time, Britain was a nation of small farms and market gardens, he explains. They were served by an army of traders, dealers, auctioneers, hauliers, vets, shopkeepers and publicans. Village England was not a leafy place for retirement or weekend escapes from the city. It was a collection of working, trading, gossiping, neighbourly communities of strength and resilience. And so Dan and Doris Archer of Brookfield Farm were born in the spring of 1950 and the long sprawling family tree of characters who've inhabited the airwaves these past 73 years followed close behind. Each new generation has a favourite character and the longer they go on the more popular they become. Phil Archer, played by the actor Norman Painting, from the first broadcast until his death 59 years later in 2009 was much mourned. His long service truly made broadcasting history record only to be beaten by Peggy Woolley, the matriarch of Ambridge, played by actress June Spencer, from the first pilot at Whitson 1950, with only a short break, through to her retirement after 72 years in 2022. June's still going strong, by the way, aged 104. At its peak, The Archers was reaching more than 9 million listeners and unsurprisingly, through the decades, celebrities and stars have clamoured to get on the show. Queen Camilla appeared in 2011 in connection with the National Osteoporosis Society's 25th anniversary, following the royal debut a few years earlier of her aunt-in-law Princess Margaret 
promoting the NSPCC in 1984. She played it so well, even sounding slightly bored, that no one could tell whether this was great acting or for real, recalls Harvey, tongue-in-cheek. The list of five-star Ambridge visitors is endless. Chris Moyles, Griff Rees-Jones, Dame Edna Everidge and Alan Titchmarsh are just a few more. But the fascinating thing is that, however famous they may be, when they appear on the show, they find themselves overshadowed by the real stars, the Archer family, the Aldridges, Pargeters, Grundys and Snells. Most listeners agree it's nice to have fresh faces in the studio as long as they don't get in way of the real drama that's going on down in Ambridge. And Sue will complete the story of this remarkable programme next week. Keith is with us now to tell us about the Sherborne Project, as reported in the September edition of the Earlson Echo. During the week of 4th of September, the Sherborne Valley Project will be carrying out river restoration works at Cowden Wedge with approved contractors Wild Banks Conservation. Cowden Wedge contains two watercourses, the main river Sherborne and the North Brook, which feeds into the Sherborne. These rivers meet just below a small duck pond near the south of the site, next to Kingsbury Academy School. The work will use a restoration technique called Stage Zero River Restoration, which works with natural processes to redirect the river to its old historical channel. Through this technique, the river will be restored to the state in which it should have been prior to human involvement hence the term stage zero. This new technique results in a more resilient range of habitats than typical in-channel restoration. There will be great benefits to river health, wildlife, heritage, sustainability and water storage. These benefits will be passed downstream into the River Sherborne and will benefit the river and local ecosystem as a whole. Jordan Davis from the Sherborne Valley Project told ECHO, We are very excited to use this new restoration technique. Reconnecting the river to its local floodplain will help the local ecosystem and river health immensely. This will also bypass the current channel which features several weirs and culverts which interrupt the natural flow of the brook and also act as a barrier to fish passage. More information can be found on Warwickshire Wildlife Trust's website. The Sherborne Valley Project is led by Warwickshire Wildlife Trust, working with partner organisations and local communities to rewrite the future of Coventry's River Sherborne by establishing an urban living landscape in which people, nature and culture can thrive. The River Sherborne runs through Chapelfields and Spawn End into the centre of Coventry, which owes its location, its wealth and much of its history to the river. The ambitious multi-million pound project will restore and celebrate its natural, built and cultural heritage for the city's people to enjoy. The project is funded by the National Lottery Heritage Fund, with a match contributed by Coventry City Council 
Environment Agency, Sherborne Valley Churches, Historic Coventry Trust, Citizen Housing, Coventry University and Seven Trent Water. Now, who or what are honey fuddlers, which Susie Gent tells us use coded lingo to keep us in the dark? Margaret explains all. The first collections of secret language involved the vocabulary or cant of criminals in the 16th century. Its very nature meant that documenting it wasn't easy. One magistrate intent on exposing these counterfeit cranks who sought to hoodwink or honeyfuggle on his citizens threatened to whip those who came in front of the bench unless they revealed their code. It was never freely given, but occasional glimpses emerged of phrases such as the music's paid, a signal exchanged in the dead of night between the highwaymen to indicate they were on the same side. Cockney rhyming slang began in a similar fashion. The secret language of costermongers was both joyful banter and a necessary tribal code designed to evade outsiders, whether the police or the occasional customer. Nor was it the only covert language at London's East End. In his 1859 Dictionary of Modern Slang, Canton Vulgar Words, lexicographer John Camden Hotton wrote that the new dead meat market was strongest in the way of pure back slang. Appropriately for butchers, pig Latin was the insider's code, a complicated business involving words spelled backwards, as well as extra syllables tagged on. Thus, Yenum was money, Philhaith a thief, and Helbat a table. Some linguistic codes, for all their colour, are more necessary, particularly within marginalised communities who rely on them as markers of identity and community. Since the 16th century, LGBTQ plus communities have created their own linguistic registers. One of these was Polari, a language with roots including Italian, Romany and rhyming slang and which offered its speakers both public camouflage and a collective unifying identifier. It became less secret thanks to the BBC radio show Round the Horn featuring the characters Julian and Sandy. Oh, hello, Mr Horn. How bona tivada your dolly eek. Nice to see your pretty face. Often the coded lingo is our own, only we fail to realise it's private at all. Any group united by profession, passion or family will have their own tribal language. When a paramedic blues a patient into hospital with GCS3 and possible ETOH, a ranking on the Glasgow Coma Scale thanks to potential alcohol poisoning, or a cyclist sues an endo, a head-first plunge over the handlebars with some vitamin I, ibuprofen, they are each dipping into a standard protocol that is swift, succinct and pragmatic. It's also instinctive. These private lexicons are, of course, light years away from the language of closed priesthoods, such as spies, Freemasons or the Magic Circle. 
or indeed those involving dark diplomacy. Transparency may be a goal within global governance, but some nations clearly pick and choose. In fact, the very word diplomacy is instructive, for in its literal sense it involves state papers or diplomas, a word from Greek meaning paper folded over double. All manner of things could be written within their pages, but the outsider will rarely read them. All we can do is peer into the gap between the private shorthand and the public translation and hope that the honeyfugglers never win. From honeyfugglers to hurdy-gurdies with Alan, that tells us the continuing story of a portrait of life in Coventry in the early days of the 20th century. When I got home from the doctor's surgery, Nam snatched the bottle from me. It was only a small bottle and had a little brush tied on the side of it to brush her throat with, but Sony had to hold her head so that Mam could force her mouth open and I wasn't old enough. She said, Fetch Mrs. Trapp quick. So down the yard I rang again and banged on Mrs. Trapp's door. When she opened it I blurted out, Mam says come quick. Up she came at once, dropping everything she was doing. Such a good heart she had, her very presence so comforting, and she loved our grace. I stood there whimpering and trembling while both of them tried to wrench her mouth open, but Grace kept her lips tightly closed. She wouldn't open her mouth, even for Mrs. Trapp. Poor ma'am cried and wrung her hands. Whatever shall we do now? she wailed. Mrs. Trapp said, Go and fetch that there doctor again. We're wasting time. She'll have to open her mouth for him. He'll make her run on. Mrs. Quick, so ma'am snatched her coat and off the nail on the door and ran all the way to the surgery. She knocked on the front door of the house, regardless of, for private patients only, knocked on it. The same servant girl answered and said, What do you want at the store? Can't you read? This door is for private patients only, recognising ma'am as having been to the surgery. I want to see the doctor straight away. He must come at once. My child is dying with diphtheria, ma'am said, crying hysterically. The girl said, You must take your turn in the surgery like the rest. The man pushed her on one side, and before she could stop or call out, she pushed past her and ran into the door marked private, which was the doctor's room. The doctor was too surprised to be angry when he saw what a state she was in, and she blurted out, She won't let me paint her throat. I can't open her mouth. Or whatever shall I do, for God's sake, come now. Come, I implore you, doctor, or it'll be too late. Oh, Dr. Lamb, have pity on us. Screaming out his name, disregarding the patient who was sitting facing him at the table. The doctor was a very hard man, and he stared at her for a second, and then he said, Control yourself, woman. I will send the district nurse. Can't you see I am busy? Your daughter isn't the only patient I have got on my books, you know. Poor man was behind herself with grief, just stood and stared at him, her mouth twitching, while he tore a piece of paper off his pad and scribbled the nurse's name and address on it, handing it to her across the table. She snatched it out of his hand, running out of the room and out of the house, letting herself out, herself, by the front door. Hardly believing that anybody could be so cruel, sobbing she went down the street, scarcely knowing which directions to take for the quickest way to the district nurse. Passers-by stopped and stared after her, but she saw nobody. The district nurses all lived together in a house at Manor Road, a small road off Park Street, 
which was by the railway station, quite a distance from the surgery in Cox Street. It took her about fifteen minutes running all the way. As she got nearer to Manor Road, she took the piece of paper out of her pocket, and by the light of the street lamp read out the nurse's name and the number of the house she wanted. After going through one or two garden gates and peering at the numbers on the doors, she found the one she was looking for. Another servant girl answered the door and Lamb said, Is Nurse Wilson in, please? All out of breath through running and holding out the piece of paper to the girl, who took it further into the hall to read it under the gaslight there. Coming back to Ma'am, standing in the doorway, she said, It is very late. Nurse Wilson is just going to bed. Never mind that my child is dying, said Ma'am, moving forward to go further into the hall. But the girl put out her hand and said, Just a minute, please. I will take the message to the nurse, if you will wait here. In a kinder voice altogether from the other servant girl at the doctor's house. After about five minutes, which seemed like a lifetime to Ma'am, listening to the grandfather clock ticking away in the corner, Nurse Wilson herself came slowly down the stairs in front of her. Ma'am rushed forward and cried, Oh, nurse, please, hurry. My child has got to fear and won't let us paint her throat. She's dying, I tell you. Oh, do please come. In such a tearful, pleading voice that the nurse, who was a kind type of woman, said, Now, dear, don't upset yourself. I will come. Where do you say you lived? Much Park Street? Oh, that won't take me long on my bicycle. Just give me the number of the court and the house, and I'll be there before you are, if I strike away now. But she did. She could see that Mam's distress was genuine, and knew how urgent it was to get that throat cleared as quickly as possible, if the child was to live. When Mam got back home, running all the way again, gasping for breath, the nurse was already there. She had taken her coat off and was warming her hands by the fire, as it was a very cold night. But Mam hadn't noticed that. Going over to the sofa where Grace lay, still tossing her head on the pillow, she said to Mrs. Trapp, who had stayed with us while Ma'am had been away, Now will you hold her head as firmly as you can when I try to open her mouth? Mrs. Trapp got at the back of her and held her head firmly in both hands, and the nurse said to Grace, Now, dear, open your mouth, there's a good little girl. To everybody's amazement, she opened her mouth wide. It was as if an angel had come into the room, it was so wonderful. Now somebody please pass the bottle and the brush, said the nurse. Keep your mouth open, dear. I promise it won't hurt you at all. She painted Grace's throat just in the nick of time. She stayed all the night and came every few hours during the day until the danger had passed. How we all loved that nurse, as our Grace would certainly have died if Ma'am hadn't run about like she did, and if the nurse hadn't acted so quickly. Poor Ma'am was so exhausted but so relieved when Grace let the nurse paint her throat that for the first time in her life she knelt on the stone floor and thanked God for hearing her prayer, as she had been praying as she had been running all that way, first to the doctor and then to the nurse. Our house was number seven, and at number ten little Jimmy Whitehead died with diphtheria the next day. He was only three years old, and such a pretty little boy with fair curls over his head. His mother and father were broken-hearted. Grace was ill for seven weeks, and lay on the sofa looking like a ghost. Ma'am had to teach her to walk again, as diphtheria is accompanied by a sort of paralysis of the legs. I was glad when she could come upstairs again, as I'd missed her so much. I missed the fairy stories we used to tell each other when we were tucked up in bed, about beautiful princesses and handsome princes. Our gran had a single bed in the corner of the room, 
but she was so deaf and sometimes so drunk, she never heard us. Home hadn't had much schooling, but she had plenty of common sense and courage, and when Grace was well again, she made up her mind to get us out of that court somehow, with all its smells and drunken quarrels. Our dad was upset when Grace was so ill, but he was content to stay there in that environment as he had been born there, and brought up in it, but not our ma'am. And these reminiscences will be continuing a story for weeks to come. Days forever out and about, of course, and this time he's in Southport with the Nostalgics and finds out about their audition for The X Factor. Hello there, welcome to a coach trip to Southport. I'm on a coach with members of the Nostalgics, a singing group I belong to, and also another group as well. So anyway, we'll see what there is to see when we get to Southport. Okay, I'll keep you in touch. I've tried to lead them with some uh, sing songs. I miss those uh, community singing on coaches. Do you? Okay, so we're about to play bingo anyway. Okay, see you later. Well, we're arrived at Southport and I'm on the Gallopers at the moment and with a fellow member of the uh, Nostalgics, Francis. Hello, Francis, are you enjoying it? I'm enjoying it, David, very much. Thank you. Well, we're going well. It's a bit a long time since I've been on a horse ride. <laughs> yeah, it does. In the reign of Queen Victoria, I think this was this carousel was made. Uh, Galloper built in the reign of Queen Victoria, 1892. We're going round and round. You can see the uh, Funland Pier, a restaurant, fish and chips takeaway. Very nice, and it's a lovely day, despite the weather forecast. Hi. Yeah, and the sun's come out. I've not been here before, but my mother passed away recently. She was from this side of the town, married in Liverpool, and so I'm reminiscing. <laughs> yeah, I'm reminiscing because uh, it was a lovely holiday. I went with uh, Sheila in the uh, the Sandpipers, the Revitalised Centre by the lake, and I went with Graham as well on his 50th birthday holiday. And here we are on the beautiful, colourful horses. And uh, Francis is called Caroline. Mine's called Ryan. By the Gallopers, speaking to a gentleman now. What's your name? Uh, Derek. It's an absolutely beautiful kind of carousel. Can you tell me something about it, Sage, perhaps? Uh, well, the carousel, I believe, is 120 years old. Um, it came from down south, somewhere, I don't know where. Uh, and Silcox have had it for about 30 years. Yes. So, uh, and it's on the prom every year. So it's, it, 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 it is a real kind of uh, tourist attraction, isn't it? It's just, yeah, fantastic. That's no the moment we're sitting next to the pier and we're listening to this singer and it's a lovely day oh. 
Family. Yes, I'm coming with my family. I haven't seen my nephews for a couple of years because of COVID and money and everything, losing my job and everything. So it's been nice to get away, but um, yeah, not that impressive punting. But when they come up here to this bit, oh, I'm really impressed. Now. It's worth going. It's worth going to come down. Yeah, it is a lovely place. It's a lovely place. Lovely People are really, really friendly. They're really, really nice. So, yeah, enjoyed it. Nice meeting you. Thank you. I'm speaking to one of the singers. Uh, her name is Sandra, Sandra Sumner. So, uh, it's a lovely place to sing uh, uh, by, this, by the lake uh, in this cafe. You're enjoying it? I am enjoying it. You've got, we've, we've got a really, really nice day as well for it, haven't we? Yeah, it's really good weather. Have you been entertaining for long? Oh, yes, for a long time. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Well, I hope you've enjoyed it today. I've enjoyed it. It's really been nice. Thank you, Sandra. Bye-bye. Thank you. I'm speaking to a member of the Nostalgic Team at the moment. So what sort of time are you having at Southport? Very good. Very it's good. Nostalgic, isn't it? Nice to hear a bit of music and nice to have a meal out, outside. Lovely. You like music, don't you? I love so music. you enjoy going and singing at the Nostalgic? I do, yeah. yeah. I'm really in the X Factor. You were? You were yeah, in the X Factor. Yeah, yeah, I was, yeah. And she danced at the X Factor, didn't you, Peggy? <laughs> Peggy, yeah, that's me. And this was the Nostalgic's big moment as they auditioned for the X Factor competition on television. They were introduced by Gary Barlow and then Louis Walsh, and the choir sang as Peggy danced with Dermot O'Leary. This is what we needed, a nice, fresh, young group of people. <laughs> so, who have we got here? We are the Nostalgics from Coventry. And guys, what artists in the world do you think you could be as big as? Well, unfortunately, the one would want to be as big as they're all dead. <laughs> Anybody living? And Gary Barlow. <laughs> and what would it mean to you today to get through? Everything. Just to prove that we can do it at our age. Yeah. Okay. Off you go. Oh, my God. 
Francis and I are about to go on a boat trip around the beautiful lake. I'm speaking to Michael at the moment. I enjoy your, your time. And oh, I'm loving it. And the weather's beautiful too. I'm just about to go on a boat. And where are you from? Blackpool. Blackpool. That's not far away. You can actually see Blackpool across the sea. It's fantastic. Yeah. We are cruising on a lovely lake near the sea. And at the end of the lake is revitalised holiday home sandpipers where Sheila and I were treated to a lovely holiday once and Sheila had nominated me for a carers award the great award for carers okay we're now on a trip on the road train um, with Francis and Peggy here we go we're going towards the lake I've really enjoyed my day today. I met David today for the first time. Very nice gentleman. Yeah, it's, it's really nice that you're going past the lake now, and there's people in uh, motorboats. There's the big wheel in the background, a lovely bridge. And uh, yes, it's really smashing. It's really, it's lovely. Oh, we're going through the fairground now, Pleasureland Miniature Railway, a helter skelter. Okay, well, Francis and myself have been walking along the beach and getting muddy because the sea is a long way out. But you can see Blackpool Tower across the, the water. And the nostalgics meet at the Avenue Bowling Club, Gaveston Road, Cowden. Coventry on Wednesday mornings between 10.30 and 12.30 and come along and sing a couple of songs or just enjoy listening to the singers. We're on the coach now and we're about to set off for Coventry. So, okay, so it's cheerio. Have you had a nice time, Francis? I've had a lovely time today and I'm so tired now, but I'm not being asleep, but I think the fresh air of the seaside will make me sleep tonight, hopefully. Yes, I've had a nice day with David. It's given me a laugh. I've never laughed so much. Because this year has been horrible. I really have laughed. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, that's, that's good. good. Cheered you up. That's fantastic. I've enjoyed it too. Fantastic. That's all from the trip to the seaside with the nostalgics. <laughs> Thank you. Okay, bye. Bye for me, David Monks, and bye from. Bye bye. Bye from Francis. Bye. That visit to Southport brings us to the conclusion of this week's outlook. There's still time to send your seasonal messages and greetings to Dave for his Christmas special postbag. And so, until next week, from me, Nigel Hewin, and all the Outlook team, it's goodbye for now.